Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes, completely eradicating, not just reducing, completely eradicating. I believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for Mondays, not Fridays and get to do their most meaningful work. The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices, which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Carl is a serial entrepreneur and currently the founder of Neutral Fuel Holdings based in Dubai. He is a British national but living in Dubai since 2009 and has built and sold six companies and has experience of doing business in more than 51 countries. In the interview, we talk about entrepreneurship as a mindset and whether entrepreneurs are born or made. We talk about the transition from a functional or a technical role into working with people which every entrepreneur has to go through and learn at one point or another. He shares the importance of appreciating people, of self-awareness and to have a healthy relationship with standing out from the crowd. Hi Carl, welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast. Hello there, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. Yeah, it's uh, and it's, I'm so glad to have you here with uh, with me today. And for our listeners, can you start by sharing a bit about who you are and what do you do? My name is Carl Fielder. Uh, I'm the founder of Neutral Fuels, which is the largest producer of biofuels in the Middle Eastern region. Wonderful. And I was reading your profile and I saw that, right, this is not your first company. In fact, many... <laughs> yes, I did a summary... I was talking at one of the business schools recently and they asked me to do a summary of how quickly you can be successful as an entrepreneur. And I think our, this current company is my 11th startup. And mm. uh, it's been quite a journey. I've been starting companies now for 32 years and, uh, and growing them and then inevitably selling them. And uh, it's a fascinating experience. I have to say that I think that entrepreneurs are born and not made. And this has led to a lot of disagreements with some of my professor colleagues at the business school because they think that you can train entrepreneurs and create them from excited MBA students. And I would say that you could probably make a natural entrepreneur a little bit better, but I'm not sure you can train them from scratch. 
Okay, that's uh, that's quite interesting. So can you share a little bit more of your background, right? Uh, uh, can you share your story? How did your background prepare you to be an entrepreneur? Well, in common with many entrepreneurs, um, my one of my parents disappeared when I was fairly young. Um, normally for entrepreneurs, it's quite common that they would lose one parent before the age of 10. Uh, I'm not a regular sort of a person, I suppose is the wrong way of putting it. Um, my own analysis uh, would say that about 3% of the population are probably entrepreneurs. And my PhD thesis is that um, entrepreneurism is an undiagnosed spectrum disorder, uh, a little bit like autism or one of the other um, psychological traits. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's an unusual thing. Anyway, to come back to your, um, your question. So I started off um, on the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, I had a very poor upbringing. Um, my parents, uh, my mum and my stepfather, uh, in the end, took three jobs each in order to pay for me to get through school. Um, this led me to really, really want to succeed. But I think I had that natural drive deep down anyway. Um, and I was able to go off and do my first degree in engineering and then uh, retrain to be a software programmer. I have to say I'm a terrible software programmer. But it took me a couple of years to realize that. And then uh, I started my first company. Uh, so I think it's a challenge being an entrepreneur is difficult for everybody that's around you. It's difficult for your family. Um, it's difficult for whoever you choose to settle down with. Uh, definitely difficult for your kids. Uh, it's really something that takes all of your life and it wraps up every part of your living. Can you share a bit more on uh, like your early childhood and how that relates to what you do today? What is the connection, right? Well, I was very lucky in that at the age of 11, I sat for three scholarships to uh, go off to expensive British public schools. They're called public schools, but they're private. And I was very lucky that I, I won two of those scholarships. So I was able to go to a very, very good school um, with a long history and that played rugby and did all those sort of great things. But I'm absolutely certain for the seven years I was there, I was the poorest kid at school. Uh, my stepfather used to take me there in his 15-year-old car, which was uh, Morris Oxford, and uh, two of my um, peer group came by helicopter. Uh, it was a complete contrast uh, but when it came to the classroom or when it came to the sports field or when it came to living together, we were all equal. We had to compete with each other. And I think that school did a lot for me to help me see that by working really hard and by pushing yourself, that you could achieve almost anything. And certainly rubbing shoulders with people that had got lots and lots of money when we didn't made me aspire to have more than I would have normally aspired for. Yeah, and how has that perspective changed in the like the thirty-two years and the eleven companies? Uh... I think as I've got older, I've started to realise that it's more about the appreciating the people that are around you, and it's definitely about enjoying the journey, um, the destination, growing a company, and then selling it. The selling it isn't actually that much fun. Um, the growing it is where all the fun is, and. Uh, that's almost always about the people that you either work with as customers, as suppliers, or as your colleagues in the business. And that, for me, has been the greatest reward, has been 
having some wonderful people around me who have worked extremely hard, but also felt that they were doing something really worthwhile. Yeah. And how would you advise somebody, right, who is dealing with all of that pressure? Because growing up, right, you said it's an exciting phase, but it's often a challenging phase as well. Uh, and you do a lot of advising as well. So what would be your advice to somebody? Well, the first thing is to make sure that you're really an entrepreneur. Uh, the worst thing you can do is to think you're an entrepreneur, start a business and then realize, actually, it's all too hard. Being an entrepreneur, as I've already said, is pretty difficult, but starting a business when you're not an entrepreneur is almost impossible. Uh, entrepreneurs don't tend to sleep very much. We get very excited about uh, about anything almost. Mm -hmm. um, we have what's called an irrational self-belief. We believe that we can do things that nobody else thinks we can do. And you need those characteristics in order to be able to grow a fast-growing business and in order to be able to scale it. If you don't have those skills, you won't be able to do it. So the first thing is make sure that you're an entrepreneur. Um, the second thing is make sure you've got great people around you. The thing about building a business is always about the people. And you're going to need to employ some people that maybe have different skill sets from you and therefore different ways of communicating. But that still means you need them in the business. And you've got to be able to identify your own weaknesses and recruit people that complement those. Hmm. Yeah, that's quite interesting because how you describe entrepreneur almost as a psychological profile rather than uh, a skill or a set of skills which can be learned or which can be improved. But it's uh, it's also uh, interesting you speak about people and I know a lot of entrepreneurs who have suffered hardship and who have that drive to succeed and wanting to prove themselves. But I also see that a lot of that is very personal, right? It's still very much individual and that stops many leaders to build teams, build relationships. So how does that evolution come from like wanting to succeed or proving a point to now giving others space, building more leaders around you? What have you seen and what have you learned in your own journey? Well, that's about self-understanding, I think. Um, you really do need to be able to objectively analyze your own skills and your own strengths and weaknesses. That comes with maturity. Certainly in my first startup, I didn't believe that. Um, probably not in my second startup either. And then I went off and did an MBA. And uh, that was fascinating because uh, I had a bunch of people in my team and we were wor working on work together and it was going to be a team result and my grade was going to be based on the teamwork. And I walked into the first meeting and said, it's okay, guys, I've read everything about this particular project. You're going to do this, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. And they all looked at me and said, who are you? I said, well, I'm the guy that's telling you how we're going to do all this. And they said, no, you're not. You're just another MBA student. So it was humbling to realize that, there, that the strength of teamwork really is important. Um, but I think entrepreneurs are a bit odd. I describe it as a spectrum disorder because there is a, almost a rainbow of manifestations of entrepreneurism. <clears throat> Some people who really need a lot more security and a lot more predictability in their life, they would be what I would call an intrapreneur. So they would be people that only can really exist in big companies, but they need a creative space where they can imagine and define and create new things. But on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the really extreme entrepreneurs <clears throat> who probably have a number of other psychological uh, challenges. Uh, some of them are pretty sociopathic. Uh, many of them are very, very difficult to get on with. 
Um, and somewhere in that spectrum is where most entrepreneurs sit. I've met a few extremes on both ends. And to me, objectively analyzing it, it was obvious to see that they were there. But other people thought they were just weird. Hmm. Whereas if you sit in the middle of the spectrum, most people most of the time think you're normal, but you're not. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as you were talking about like nature versus nurture earlier, right? Whether entrepreneurs are more that or can these skills be taught? So just like an MBA is a very different set of skills, which are taught, but I see that weirdness or that uh, unreasonableness is rarely taught in our schools or colleges, right? So is that something which you feel that can also be taught? I, I don't think you can teach that, but I think you need to, in fact, if you find people that have that quality, you need to help them to moderate their behavior. Hmm. Um, people, I mean, my, my last boss, who was also my first boss, uh, but my last boss told me that I was unmanageable and I took it as a compliment. And he said, Carl, it's not a compliment. And I <laughs> said, no, 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 my word being unmanageable is a compliment. Um, but in some, as I've grown up and as I've got older, you realize that you do have to have some area of responsibility. Even if you're running your own business, uh, you might have other shareholders, you might have investors, you're certainly going to have a board of directors. These are people to whom you bear responsibility. Um, and while you may not regard them as managing you, you certainly mm -hmm. have to talk to them with respect and you have to work out ways of presenting information. The particular thing that I'm quite, um, quite passionate about is information flow. It's fascinating to me that most venture capital on the West Coast of the States is coming from people who have founded their own business uh, been successful and then started uh, a VC fund. Whereas when you go to Europe, most of the people that are running VC funds are bankers and accountants. And the difference in that is that bankers and accountants tend to get a bit scared when you wave your arms around a lot and you start talking passionately about things and dumping the desk. Whereas the guys in California, they just think that's normal. And so you have to work out how you're going to present both yourself and your information about your business, depending on who the audience is. And that requires a level of self-awareness that most people don't have. They don't mm. possess the skill of being able to objectively analyze like that. So you can train that. You can do that with role playing. You can put people in situations where they are truly uncomfortable and you help them to analyze why they're uncomfortable and help them to develop coping mechanisms so that they can actually deal with it. Yeah. And coming to the present moment now, right, what you're doing right now, and you're also based in Dubai, can you share a bit more about that transition? How did that uh, came to happen? Well, my eldest daughter did a school project, and the teachers were asking, what does mummy and daddy do? And they looked at what I'd done in my past, and I think I've now done business in over 60 countries, and I've been a director in more than 20, so I've had to deal with 20 different corporate governance regimes. And I think that the fascinating thing, having looked at all of that, was when I first arrived in Dubai, which was about 2008, I found a, an environment that was genuinely welcoming to entrepreneurs, that you could almost smell the innovation in the air. And you could sense that they really wanted to encourage a different way of looking at life. And that's a bit weird. You know, you turn up at an airport, you look at some glass and chrome buildings, and you think, oh, that's all very pretty. 
and then you see some truly magnificent architecture. You think, well, that. But how do you actually get that sense? And that's why I describe it as a. It really was more like a sense that this was a place that was really going to be welcoming. Um, on the contrary, I've found many of the places I've done business to be exactly the opposite. Uh, it's something that I've heard called the tall poppy syndrome, which is that the more successful you are, the more your poppy stands out in the field, the more people want to chop your head off. And I've felt in a number of countries that success is disliked uh, and is regarded as something that should not be uh, your target. And that's somewhere that I don't want to be. And so I've decided that those countries, I'm not going to spend much time. Yeah. And I also see this. Uh, so this is, yes, it's cultural. It's, so it's uh, a part of uh, specific countries. But I also see this in people who grow up in those countries. Now, even when they move out or even when they are becoming an entrepreneur, they let themselves, uh, like they shortchange themselves or they underestimate themselves because they fear standing out, right? Because they, like, they really feel that being successful is doing a disservice to others in some way. It, How do you handle is, that? Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. It is difficult. I mean, the thing about being an entrepreneur is you really got to believe in yourself. Um, in many ways, being a CEO and being an entrepreneur are similar in that they're both very, very lonely jobs. Uh, in that you have to have this amazing belief uh, in order to be able to inspire other people. And you have to see things and envisage things in the future that other people just can't even comprehend. But if you're going to get people to follow you, whether as a leader, a CEO, or as an entrepreneur, you've got to have that vision and you've got to be able to explain it in careful terms so that other people can literally buy into the vision and help hmm. you get there. So if you come from an environment where being successful is not seen as a good thing somehow you've got to work out how to get around that because it definitely will reduce your ability to succeed and it's something that i think in schools they could do a lot more of um i've seen in some school systems around the world that they don't promote competition anymore they don't like the idea of people getting awards for being first second or third because they think that makes other people feel that they're less worthy and maybe I'm a little bit too much of a sort of traditionalist or a capitalist, but I think we need entrepreneurs, we need leaders, and we need people who are going to succeed and be driven by that success. Otherwise, society won't address the key challenges that it has to address. It doesn't mean that you can't respect the other people. And certainly when I look at my businesses that I've started, I'm very keen to point out to everybody in the business that I truly respect what they're doing. The guy that runs one of my sh machines does something that I couldn't do. Just because I happen to have a big title doesn't mean that I'm any better than him. I happen to be good at what I'm good at, but I know what I'm rubbish at. And he would be good at the things he's good at and rubbish at the things that I'm good at. And that's just about mutual respect. And I think that through society helps us to build a more balanced way forwards. And I certainly get that sense in Dubai that that's something that the government here is trying to promote. Hmm. Yeah. And coming back to your own leadership, your own work, right? To what is your vision for the future? What is it that keeps you going? Well, my own management series uh, based on something I call PRIDE, um, which stands for People, Responsibility, Interdependentness decision-making and execution. 
Um, so the first thing is it's all about choosing people. You've got to get the best possible people. And that is anathema in some societies where they just want you to hire the cheapest people possible. And if you need more success, then just hire more people. Whereas I've always found that hiring the best people you can possibly afford and inspiring those people, even if you're inspiring them to do what they personally don't think they can do, is a really, really good way to get excellent performance out of a business and everybody's working together. The responsibility is to then make those people responsible to each other. It's a, what they would regard as a star type management um, structure, not a hierarchical one. So my VP sales is just as responsible to my CTO as the guy is, the accounts person is responsible to the guy that's driving the uh, operations. Mm -hmm. I want them to be responsible to each other. And if something goes wrong, they work together to resolve it. There's no sense that, oh, we mustn't tell the boss because we're going to get fired. That's just so negative and so unhelpful. The um, interdependentness is that ability to rely on everybody else around you. And that builds a fantastic amount of team cooperation, team spirit. But once all of that's done, you have to make a decision. And the decision part is generally <clears throat> recognizing that somebody ultimately has to take the decision. So I will always listen to everybody's view, even if it's completely contradictory to my own. But ultimately, I'll say to them, okay, I've listened to everything. Now, this is what we're going to do. And then the last part is you guys are going to execute it. Because I know certainly as the CEO or leader of an organization that I'm probably the worst person to execute things. I don't, I'm not really good at that skill. And I recognized it, but I could find people who are really good at that. Thank you. I think that acronym kind of uh, sums it up. I think both the entrepreneur mindset, but also then working with people, listening, collaborating, interdependency. I think it's a mix of uh, uh, when you have to be the driver, when you have to really lead the way, but then also realizing that when you're working in a company, you cannot do everything alone. Uh, and then you don't want to burn others to the ground as well. So you need to encourage teamwork, encourage relationships, listening, self-awareness. Uh, so thank you for adding that. I think that's uh, that's uh, must be quite a journey and a series of experiences to come up with that. Yeah, there's a lot of trial and error, and sometimes it didn't work. But uh, when it does work, you know, you can feel yeah. it in the business. It feels magical. Yeah. And what are some of those challenges uh, that lie ahead for you? What are some of those biggest fears that you see in your journey as you, like, imagine five to ten years ahead? Well, I'm now in my second career. Um, my first career was in the IT industry and dealing with all sorts of different parts of technology. Um, but I decided 15 years ago I was going to spend the rest of my life looking at ways that we can save the planet and improve the way that we live on the only planet that we've got. And one of the biggest challenges that, that I face that keeps me awake at night is that we don't have enough time to fix all the things we've got to fix. And I can't. I'm quite creative, but I can't invent a way of creating more. That's my biggest mistake so far, is there's just not enough hours in the day. There's not enough people working on this. There's not enough prioritization uh, on climate change and reducing carbon footprint. Uh, and I really do worry about that. Uh, and I've got kids, and eventually maybe I'll have grandchildren as well. And the world that we hand over to those people is going to be very different from the world we live in today. And it's going to be one with more unhappiness, 
uh, less resource availability, probably a lot more war, uh, probably a lot more displacement of people, a lot more refugees. I think it's not a nice looking future. And what I really want to do is try and inspire all the entrepreneurs in the world to get together and simply address climate change. Hmm. It's a little bit like watching one of those movies where there's a meteor heading towards the earth and all the world scientists get together to come up with a solution. I don't understand why they don't realize that climate change is the meteor. We'd, why are we mucking around? We're trying to invent new ways of mobile phones working and trying to do this bit of tech and that bit of tech. That's going to be so totally irrelevant when the city you live in is underwater. So yeah. we really all should just be focused on climate change. That's it. Yeah. And how do you navigate that? Because as you're describing it, right, it feels a bit uh, negative, disempowering. But as an entrepreneur, you have to show the way, right? You have to look for the solution, even if it is just 10% and 90% of it is bad news. How do you manage that? Absolutely. I mean, you, the thing about entrepreneurs is we wake up every morning wanting to change the world. And, and we can't do much about that. We just wake up like that. We wake up in the morning and go, why does that work like that? And couldn't we do that a little bit differently? And isn't there a more efficient way of doing those things? So that comes naturally. But how to deal with the sheer size, the quantum of the problem, that really is quite an issue. And I think the best way of doing that, and certainly over 15 years, the only way I've found is to bite off a chunk of the problem that I can really exceed at. And that for me has been biofuels. To bring biofuels to the Middle East when I first got here and said, I'm going to build a biofuels industry, literally everybody laughed. They thought I was completely mad. Why would you want to spend your time in the fossil fuel capital of the world, introducing them to the concept of low carbon footprint fuels? And I said, well, where else would be the best place to do this? And, you know, skip forward 15 years. Yesterday, I spent most of the day on board a ship watching as the ship was loading our biofuel in order that that ship could transport its aggregates from Rasulkhaima in the UAE all the way to India. And by those actions, we reduced the carbon footprint of that ship by 20% in one afternoon's work. And for me, that really is the solution, is to find out where you can make a difference and then focus your efforts on that. Absolutely. I think identifying that, that uh, what you said, right, a chunk for yourself. Mm. But then also sharing that as a story and to take, really take meaning from that and not to let the big cloud of climate change hover over us as a dark, disempowering, negative thing, which actually stops us from taking action or feeling good about what we are doing. Well, I posted about my experiences yesterday on board ship and I called it action, not words. There's just too many people talking about climate change. I mean, anybody now that stands up and says there's a serious problem we're running out of Earth's resources, blah, 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 blah. They're wasting time. We know all that stuff. And if we don't know it, if we're so stupid, we don't know that stuff. We must have been living in a hole for the last 20 years. So don't waste time telling other people that it's bad. Tell people, I've analyzed how bad it is, and I've worked out this is where I can make a difference, and this is what we need to do. Please, will you join me in making a difference? That's what we all need to get together and do, and actually do things. Stop talking about it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Carl, for sharing everything, sharing a glimpse of your life, of your journey, and then how you have evolved. And I think how every entrepreneur evolves over a period of time as they grow and mature, as you said, right? 
so before we end, right, if anybody who is listening wants to find out more about what you are doing with your company or just who you are, what's the best way for them to do so? The best way is to look for me on LinkedIn. If you want to follow professionally what I'm doing, um, then I have my own website as well, which is Carl with a K, carlwfielder.com. And that is full of all the craziness that is my world of being an entrepreneur. That's me on stage. There's some clips from me and my rock band. There's some uh, stuff with me talking at large conferences. There's a lot of interviews that I've done with other people trying to get their knowledge and insights into my head. So uh, if you want, you can share on that. Uh, but I'd be really happy if people follow me on LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. I will make sure to include those links uh, with the show notes when this comes out. And once again, I want to wish you best for everything that lies ahead for you. Uh, and keep being who you are. Perfect uh, like a mix on that spectrum for craziness. And I do talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. So I can totally relate to that. Uh, well, yeah. thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity to share my thinking with other people and to share my story. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carl. It's what my pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come, and have big dreams for the future. Please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.